So last week, I looked at saving love and looked at a passage out of Romans chapter 3 where it talks about, you know, three big words. It talks about the idea of redemption, the idea of propitiation, right? It talked about that and also justification. And we had some, some, some people acting that out. Justification is us standing before a righteous judge. How can we be made right with God? And then redemption is us as slaves. Who's going to purchase us from our slavery or our bondage? And then propitiation. God is angry. Who will make a sacrifice to placate or appease the wrath of God towards us? Well, the answer to all of that is Jesus. Through his blood, through his sacrifice, we are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are justified. We are uh, as, as it would be, now friends of God, right? Jesus' death placated or appeased the wrath of God by his sacrifice. Therefore, we now have peace with God. We're now friends of God. Somebody say amen to that. God is good. God is good. So that's saving love. He saved us. Drew us to himself with cords of love. Just drew us to himself. And when did God start loving us? In the very beginning, before the worlds began, the Bible says he loved us and chose us in him. And then, of course, we were born, and then he drew us to himself. And when it pleased the Lord, he revealed his son in us. He saved us. That's saving love. Today, I want to talk about faithful love. After you're saved, God continues to love us. Somebody say amen to that. John 13, verse 1 says this, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So we find here that Jesus loves his disciples. I'm a disciple. You're a disciple if you're a believer. He loves you. The Bible says, having loved his own. That's the idea of past tense, it's in the aorist tense, it's past tense, having loved us. So the love of God is, is this, he has loved us, he loves us, and he will continue to love us, past, present, and future. Uh, the Bible says there that he loved them to the end, loved them to the end. This means Jesus loved them to the very end, meaning t- until his death, you know. He loved them to the very end where he sacrificed his life. He never withdrew his love. Or he loved them to the end, meaning the end of their life. Or he loved them to the end, meaning throughout all eternity he loves us to the very end, right? And uh, this word to the end can also mean this, having loved us to the uttermost, or having loved us completely, having demonstrated his full and complete love towards us. Aren't you glad that Jesus loves us? The Bible says that he loves his own. And that word for love there is the Greek word agape, meaning that self-sacrificing love. The idea there that he loved us with the type of love that he was willing to lay down his life for us. And that word agape means more than just simply self-sacrificing. It means that it's the type of love that's rooted in the will, the choice, the decision. So it's not capricious. It's not dependent on feelings. It's not whether or not God's having a good day or whether or not you are having a good day. But that uh, agape love is a love that chooses, determines... That's not based on feeling. 
The idea of a commitment that lasts forever. The Lord loves us. He chose to love us. He determined to love us. He committed himself to loving us. And he loves us to the very end. Somebody say amen to that. Saving love and faithful love. The Bible says he loved them who were in the world. Jesus loved those 12. Judas was removed because he betrayed the Lord. Jesus loved them, his own, who were in the world. I love that. Jesus loved them and us while we were in this world, going through trials, having personal struggles, needing his forgiveness. He loves you and I before we are completely perfect in heaven. While we're in this world. I don't know how your week went. Did you do good? Not so good? Some struggles? Some failures? You felt like you were faithful? Maybe not as faithful? I want you to know that his love is extended to you while we're down here in the midst of this world with our ups and downs. Jesus knew that his hour had come, and he still loved. I love that. Jesus' love is unhindered by the events, tragedies, and calamities of the world. I mean, he had a lot going on right now. This is Passover. This is the night in which he's betrayed. He's going to be sentenced to death. He's going to be crucified. He could have been self-centered or self-focused or full of self-pity or sorrow or knowing that they're all going to forsake him, knowing that Judas is going to betray him. He could have said, ah, forget it. But in the midst of tragedy, uncertainty, calamity, difficulty, trials, testings, betrayals, disloyalty, in the midst of all that, Jesus still loved them and displayed his love. And I want you to know in the midst of our life and all that's going on, I want you to know that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Somebody wave at me if you like that. Praise the Lord. Charles Stanley, who recently passed away, just a great minister of the gospel, he wrote these words just a few days before he passed away as a devotional. He titled it, Always. Always. Talking about faithful love. He writes, as a believer, God will always be with you. He will always love you. He will always forgive your sins. He will always listen to you. He will always comfort you. He will always provide for you. He will always remember you. He will always work on your behalf. He will always lead you with love, power, and wisdom. He will always bless your obedience to him. He will always come through for you. He will always answer your prayers. And when you wait on the Lord, you can know for certain that the best is yet to come. Faithful love. Jesus' love is a faithful love. The Bible tells us in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Faithfulness, right? The faithfulness. Faithfulness means putting that loyalty into consistent practice regardless of extenuating circumstances. I love the fact that God has a faithful love towards me. That regardless of my circumstances, it never runs out. It never runs dry. It never is drawn back. Regardless of what is happening in my life or the life of others or in this world, God remains faithful still. A matter of fact, the Bible even says that I can deny the Lord and he will not deny himself. He will still be faithful to his name, to his word, to his character. Amen? 
How does God express his faithful love to you and to me? I got a number of things here. This is certainly not an exhaustive message. There's so many ways that God extends or shows his faithful love to you, but I got a number of, number of them here. I think I have five. Number one is by forgiving you every single day. You know, when you come to Jesus, you are forgiven. Saving faith, right? He justifies you. He redeems you. He becomes your propitiation for your sins and the sins of the whole world. He covers over your sins. He declares you righteous in his sight. But I want you to know, after you're saved, he still forgives you over and over again. It's interesting, in John chapter 13, we have Jesus loving them to the very end. And then the very next verse, it says, Then supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself, poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Uh, right there is the love of God demonstrated to his disciples, not just in word only, but also in deed or in practice. The washing of the feet is a picture of daily forgiveness because they'd wear those sandals and they'd go through the dusty streets every single day and at the end of the day they'd pick up the dust or the dirt of the world and they needed to wash their feet every single day. It's a picture of how we get dirty every single day being in this world and we need the gracious washing of forgiveness in our life every single day. Somebody say amen, right? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, confessing means to say the same thing that God says. So this is confessing sin. Lord, I have sinned and grieved you. Forgive me. Lord, I have sinned. I've broken your commandments forgive me. You're saying the same thing that God says. This is not confession of sin. Lord, I had a bad day. I was tired. That person ticked me off. If you were in my shoes, you probably would have been mad too. You know, that, that's a excuse making. You know, sometimes we do that. We give all the reasons to the Lord as to why we did such a thing, and, and, and it falls short of confession, which is basically just simply saying the same thing that God says, call sin, sin. Somebody say yes and amen to that, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful, faithful, faithful to do what? To forgive us of our sins. He's faithful and just. The Lord can be righteous or just in forgiving our sins because Jesus paid the price for the sins and satisfied the justice of God through his death. He's faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I like that. You know, every time I say, Lord, forgive me, he not only covers my sin or washes it away, but he cleanses me to where I what? I now have a right standing with God, righteous in his sight. I got this clip. Uh, it's from the, the film series, The Chosen. And uh, uh, this has been a real blessing for my wife and I, The Chosen. And uh, it's based on, obviously, the life of Jesus. But Hollywood always takes uh, some extra 
uh, measures sometimes. And, and uh, with the, the series chosen, uh, it's based from the Scriptures. It's pretty true to the Scriptures. But this scene is not found in the Bible. But this scene is lived out, I believe, every day in the life of his disciples. Mary Magdalene was wonderfully saved by Jesus, and he had cast out uh, demons out of her, and she became a devoted follower of Jesus. In the film The Chosen, Mary Magdalene was following Jesus, but she backslid and went back into the world. Jesus sent some disciples, some of his disciples, after her and brought her to him where she was to be restored back to Jesus. Of course, that scene is played out all the time, right? Where he saves us. Excuse me. Where he saves us, and then sometimes we fall back into sin, and then we have to come to Jesus. This is a scene where she enters his tent. The other lady with her is the mother of Jesus, Mary, and she is going to be restored. And I just want you to look at the dialogue and um, just think about the wonderful faithfulness of Jesus to forgive us of our sins. It's not you. There's quite a lot going on right now. So it's good to have you back. I don't know what to say. I don't require much. I'm I'm so ashamed. (laughs) You redeemed me and I just threw it all away. Well, that's not much of a redemption if it can be lost in a day, is it? (laughs) I owe you everything. But I just don't think I can do it. Do what? Live up to it. Repay you. How could I leave? How could I go back to the place I was? And I didn't even... I didn't even come back on my own. They had to come get me. (sighs) I just can't live up to it. Well, that's true. (laughs) But you don't have to. I just want your heart. A father just wants your heart. Give us that, which you already have. And the rest will come in time. Did you really think that you'd never struggle or sin again? I know how painful that moment was for you. I shouldn't. Someday. But not here. I'm just so sorry. Look up. (laughs) I can't. You can. Look at me. 
で。<笑>
her eyes to the Lord. And then he says, I forgive you. It's over. I want you to know that that's the faithful love of God. He's the glory and the lifter of our head. He sends his Holy Spirit. He draws us back to him. We come into his presence. We're sorrowful. We're confessing our sin. And he says, look up. No longer be ashamed. I forgive you. It's over. Sin is done away with. You're right in my sight. Receive my love. Let's start this journey yet again. The Bible tells us that the righteous man will fall seven times, and he'll rise up again by the power of God. You know, the disciples asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? You know, the Pharisees taught three times a day. Three times you're supposed to forgive. But the disciples thought they'd be pretty gracious and say, seven times, you know? And he says, no, what, 70 times seven? The idea of unlimited forgiveness. We need to understand that God is faithful. And I'm sure if you've been a Christian, you've had to go before the Lord so many times and have him extend forgiveness to you, have him, as it were, wrap those loving arms around you and restore you to a right relationship with him. How does God express his faithful love to you? By forgiving you every single day. How about this one, number two, by praying for you. That's right. He ever liveth to make intercession for us, the Bible says. Jesus, in the New Testament, when he was on this earth, he prayed for Peter. There at the Last Supper, he said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But listen, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. In that passage of Scripture, he's talking to Peter, Simon, and interesting, he didn't use the word Peter, because Peter means rock, and uh, Simon was anything but a rock at those last days, as he denied the Lord three times. So he calls him Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. And so when the, when the wheat is sifted, of course, the, the, the wheat is uh, separated from the hard shell, uh, which cannot be eaten, of course, and that's considered shaft chaff, and then uh, there's a separation of the chaff from the wheat, and so the sifting process is the removal of the chaff, and I'm sure Satan thought that Peter was nothing but chaff, and that through this great temptation and through this great denial that he will be like chaff, that the wind will carry and just blow away, and, and that Peter will lose everything. Satan's come to sift you, to, to ultimately see that you're nothing but chaff and that this trial's going to blow you away and nothing's going to be left of your faith. But he says, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And I want you to know that that's what God does for us. Jesus Christ prays for us that when we are in great trial and great temptation, when we're going through great tragedy or great sorrow, I want you to know that you have a high priest named Jesus Christ who is praying for you that in that trial, you will not just be chapped, but there's something that's lasting and enduring, the real fruit of God, the salvation of the Lord that will remain, and that through that, Jesus is praying that your faith ultimately is going to be strengthened. Strengthened so much that you then can have a ministry in the future to others. Uh, the very thing that God has comforted you in. Jesus, his faithful love is that he's praying for us. In the great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he says, I pray for them. 
I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. Now listen to this. The Father has given you to the Son. You are a gift from the Father to the Son. You are the great reward for his great offering, for his great sacrifice. That through that sacrifice, many sons and daughters would be brought to glory, brought into the saving relationship of Christ. You are the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the sheep of his pasture. You are those whom the Father has given Jesus, and he prays for you. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. So he's praying for us, not that we be delivered from this world, but he's praying for us that we would be kept from evil, the evil one, and all of his schemes. I do not pray for these alone, the eleven, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I. He's praying for us. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So not only does the Lord pray for us to overcome the evil one, pray for our faith to be strengthened, but Jesus also prays that we're going to go to heaven that we're going to make it there, that we're going to be with him forever, that we're going to behold his glory in heaven. Jesus is faithfully praying for you. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. He is able to save them to the uttermost. That means completely, completely, eternally. He is able to save them to the uttermost, those who come to God through him. Now, Why is he able to save you completely to the uttermost, taking you to heaven, having you overcome everything? Why is he able to do that? It says, it gives the answer right here in Hebrews 7.25, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus saves you to the uttermost or completely because he is praying for you as a faithful high priest. Jesus' intercession for us is not a matter of placating an angry father who wants to destroy us. It means that he continually represents us before the Father so we can draw near through him and that he defends us against Satan's accusations and attacks. That is faithful love. He daily forgives us and he always daily is interceding for us. If somebody comes up and says, man, I am praying for you, isn't that an act of love, a display of love? I want you to know that Jesus is doing just that. He is praying for you and for me. A third way that he shows his faithful love is by helping us in our temptations. Yes, the devil comes to tempt us, to tempt us to sin. The Bible tells us in the book of Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. There's that word faithful. 
faithful love, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation will always make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So the Lord is faithful to limit the strength of your temptation to sin, to limit the length of your temptation to sin, and he always makes a way of escape. I think about that sometimes. That, no, that the enemy comes in and he tempts us. He entices us to evil. And the scripture says that God will always be faithful to make a way of escape. What does that mean? That he will give you the wisdom to separate yourself from that sin. He'll give you the wisdom to resist that sin. Or he'll give you the grace or the strength to overcome it or to find a way through it so that you will not fail. In other words, we never have, as a Christian, a legitimate excuse to sin. Because the Lord is faithful to always make a way of escape by his wisdom or by his power. So that if we do sin, we are guilty of that sin. No excuses. No excuses. But that if we do sin, we are guilty of that sin. And then we can go before our faithful, loving Savior and say, God, forgive me. And the Bible says he will be faithful to forgive you of your sins. What love. What love. What love. He helps us in our temptations, limiting the strength of it. He will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able. And limiting the length of it, he will not allow the enemy just to come and come and come and come and come and come and just simply overpower you. But he is faithfully overseeing our lives and making a way of escape. That's faithful love, always there. Number four, by strengthening you in your weakness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, it says this. My grace is sufficient for you. Another way for sufficient is more than enough for you. It's not like he gives us a tiny bit of his grace. And I don't even know if this is a... It's sufficient. It's more than enough. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God's word to the Apostle Paul said, my grace, my grace. Paul, your power is not sufficient. Your education is not sufficient. Paul, your wisdom is not sufficient. Paul, your self-effort is not sufficient. Paul, the, all, all the, your wranglings and efforts and own wisdom, none of that is enough. But my grace, my grace, grace is really two things. It's favor we don't deserve in the way of our salvation, but grace is also strength and power from the Holy Spirit that we don't deserve. And you can tell by the context which one it's referring to. My strength and power from my Holy Spirit that you do not deserve is more than enough for you. Oh, we don't deserve any of the help of the Holy Spirit, do we? Absolutely not. My grace, my grace 
the Apostle Paul is talking about from the hand of the Lord. My grace, God's love, God's grace, God's strength is sufficient. I have a quote from Alan Redpath talking about the humor of this, how the Lord had to remind Paul it's more than enough, it's sufficient. His grace is sufficient for little me. How absurd to think it could ever be any different. As if a little fish could swim in the ocean and fear lest it might drink it dry. Oh, I, I wonder if God's power will be enough. I wonder if his, his strength will, will be enough. Almighty God, his power and his strength is always enough. It's more than enough. Am I right about that? We need to be reminded of that. Oh, man, this is just so hard, and this is just so big, and I just don't know if the Lord can see me through, and uh, I just don't know if, he, if I'll have the power, his power to be able to overcome. Are you talking? What are you talking about? His power? You, you don't think his power will give you the necessity to overcome? You're limiting the power of God? My grace is sufficient for you. That's right. It's just not for Paul. It's just not for Peter. It's just not for the super saints. My grace is sufficient for you. I, you need to make that personal. The, the God gave grace to Paul to overcome. God gave grace to Peter to overcome. God gives grace to you and to me. Little old me, little old you to overcome. Charles Spurgeon had this to say about this passage. This sufficiency is declared without any limiting words, and therefore I understand the passage to mean that the grace of our Lord Jesus is sufficient to uphold thee, sufficient to strengthen thee, sufficient to comfort thee, sufficient to make thy trouble useful to thee, sufficient to enable thee to triumph over it, sufficient to bring thee out of it, sufficient to bring thee out of 10,000 like it, sufficient to bring thee home to heaven. It's sufficient. It's more than enough. Through our infirmities, through our sufferings, through our weaknesses, the Lord humbles us. And when we are humbled, what does it do? It drives us to our knees to call out to the Lord for help. And when we are humbled and we fall to our knees and call out to the Lord for help, God then, in that weakness, strengthens us. So that's the idea here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Through suffering, the Lord humbles us, drives us to himself, pours out his grace, and in our weakness, we become strong. Let me say that again. Through suffering, the Lord humbles us, drives us to himself, pours out his grace, and in our weakness, we become strong. Has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened to you? Give me feedback. Has that ever happened to you? Yes. Let me read it to you one more time. Through suffering, the Lord humbles us, drives us to himself, pours out his grace, and in our weakness, we become strong. That's why the Apostle Paul said, man, I glory in my weakness because it is humbling me, driving me to Jesus. He gives me his strength, and in that weakness, I'm now strong in the grace of God. It's amazing, the faithful love of God. He is forgiving of us. 
right? That's the faithful love of the Lord that he forgives us. He helps us in our temptations. He strengthens us in our weaknesses. He prays for us. And one final one today. The faithful love of God is seen in his disciplining us in our failures. He's faithful to discipline us. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. God is a faithful father who will always discipline us when we are disobedient. He's not a permissive parent. He's not a parent that's not there. He's not abandoned us. He doesn't look away. He's not a passive parent. He has not withdrawn his heart from us. Man, he is focused in on us, his children. And when we do disobey, he does discipline us. He disciplines us to correct us, to protect us, and to instruct us. Thank God for discipline. Listen what it says in Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Before I was afflicted or disciplined, I went astray, but now I keep your word. See the protection there? How God disciplines us as a parent would discipline a child. I don't want you playing in that street. If you play in that street, you're going to get run over by a car. It's dangerous. You got to stay out of that street. And before you were disciplined, you went astray and played in that street, but now you've been disciplined and you're no longer playing in that street. And that's for your protection. He disciplines us so that we might learn to avoid, forsake, run away from sin. So that the consequences and the destructiveness of sin would not be in our lives. He disciplines us out of love for us so that we might learn so that we will no longer go astray. Boy, I tell you what, I went astray one time and boy, did I get in trouble. Man, the Lord wore me out until I came back to Jesus. I'm never doing that again. And don't be hard-hearted to where you continually, over time after time after time, backslide. I want you to know if you do that, the Lord's not, not going to give up on you. He's going to go after you, and he's going to teach you a lesson. You ever tell your children that? I'm going to teach you a lesson. <laughs> That's what God's discipline is. It's teaching it's teaching us lessons. Psalm 119 verse 71 says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Statutes is the word of the Lord, the commandments of God. It is, you know, David said, man, it's good. It's good. Now, I'm not sure when David wrote Psalm 119. You know, he was def definitely disciplined by the Lord. And he had some sins in his life that needed discipline. And we saw the hand of God disciplining David in his life. And he said, you know, when it's all said and done, man, it was good. I, I needed it. I learned his word. It kept me from going astray. It produced in me the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I, it, it, it corrected me. It protected me. It instructed me. And God is faithful, who will discipline you, who will strengthen you, who will help you, who will pray for you, who will forgive you. Somebody say amen to that. Bow your heads in the presence of the Lord, the faithful love of God.
Perhaps you're like Mary Magdalene. And you have wandered away. Gone back to the world. Drawn back on your spiritual commitments. And the Lord has sent his spirit after you. And you're here today. Standing in the presence of God. Or shall we say seated in the presence of the Lord. Just as Mary Magdalene felt ashamed, yet the Lord just reached out to her and spoke these words. I forgive you. It's over. Do you need to come to Jesus today to receive his forgiveness? Just seated in the presence of the Lord, if you would say, Lord, I need to confess some sins here. Why don't you do so right now? Just confess. Confess whatever sin you need to confess. Maybe it's not the sin of backsliding, but maybe it's a sin that you committed that you knew grieved the heart of the Lord. And here's your opportunity. No more excuse making. No more minimalizing it. Uh, It wasn't much. It was wrong. It was wrong. Confess it. Lord, I sinned. And hear the Lord say, I forgive you. It's over. Be restored. And maybe you're here today and you need to be saved. You need to be born again. You need to enter into the family of God. Man, I would, I would love to. It would be my honor my privilege to pray with you to receive Christ as your Savior. If you're here today and you would say, would you please pray for me? I need to be saved. I need to be born again. Please pray for me. Can you let me know you want that prayer by raising your hand? Just lift up your hand. You want to get, give your heart to Jesus today.